Just before uh, we were talking about pray this way, uh, John had a lesson for me, and uh, he came into staff meeting and with a shirt tucked in and a belt on, and he said, dress this way. Um, and so, no, just, uh, it is good to be with you guys. I am a mover, and this is going to bother me. Um, I just got back from Ohio. Uh, on Friday, we were visiting uh, family out there, uh, spending, I guess, the 4th of July weekend, if you say that was the weekend, and uh, that's what I think. And so, 4th of July weekend, spending with the family. Um, and here's what happens every time I go back. Um, and, and maybe some of you will, will understand this. Um, usually I'm going back for a holiday, Christmas, Easter, 4th of July, and people are coming over for a big meal. Um, and so, somehow, along the way, uh, I have become like the prayer guru. And I don't know when this happened. Uh, I mean, I never took like prayer 101 at school or anything. Uh, but I've noticed that this is what normally happens. There's, there's two versions of this. The first one is we're all, you know, at someone's house and uh, the meal is, you know, getting prepared and it's just about ready. And then they say, hey, everybody, it's time to come like sit down, come time to eat. So everybody starts, you know, piling into the kitchen, the dining room, wherever you're eating. Um, and then they say, oh, let's pray before we eat. And then usually whoever's hosting um, goes, Steve, would you do the honors? <laughs> and everybody then turns and looks at me like nodding. Yes, that was a good choice. Meanwhile, like I have like, you know, half a bite of appetizers still in my mouth. Prescott's kind of like clinging to my legs, and I'm like, you know, two bites, and I swallow quick, and then, okay, let's pray, you know, and we start that way. The second way, which is even more comical to me, and is actually happening more and more, is the meal getting, is getting prepared, and I'm sitting down somewhere, you know, just chit-chatting with people, and someone comes up to me, once again, usually the host, and they go, Steve, can I, can I talk to you for a minute? I'm like, okay, and they're we would really be honored if you would pray for the meal. I'm like, okay. And they're like, you know, uh, we want something that's like inspiring. Uh, and we, we know that you're, you'll do such a good job. And, and, and maybe, you know, you could even make someone cry a little. You know, not a sad prayer, but a moving prayer. You know, and so they give you warning because... You know, you need five minutes and they're expecting some good prayer to happen. And so then once again, we get, you know, everybody gets around and, and then they'll announce, just so everybody else knows that you've had time to prepare, I've asked Steve to pray for us this evening. And so then I go into prayer. And so eventually I, you know, and I actually do this quite a bit, uh, just to throw kind of a little wrench into things. I say, okay, everybody bow your head. Dear God, thank you for our food. Amen. And everybody's mouth opens and they look at me and they're like, is he serious? Is this a joke? And then I get in line and I start eating and everybody's left there kind of stunned. But they still keep asking me. So uh, if I come to your house, I'm expecting that I'll get asked to pray as well. Um, but it is very weird how praying and especially public prayer holds like this massive amount of fear in our lives for a lot of people. Like praying out loud is the last thing I want to do. I mean, even some of you in this room, I've had conversations 
that like, please don't ever ask me to pray out loud. In fact, if you do, I'll just say pass, right? Like I'm, there's like some sort of, I don't know if if we're terrified that we might mess up, that I'm going to say the wrong thing. Almost like prayer is this equation, two plus two equals four, and that's the only way to do it. But you know, three plus one equals four, and four times one equals four, and four plus zero equals four, and then you got common core math, and then eight plus seven plus 67 minus the derivative of a nine squared equals four two, and I don't know how that works, but my first grader does, right? But there's not just this certain way, okay? There's this certain formula on how to pray, and, and that's actually why, if you're looking and wondering, what is that graphic that Tim designed? Uh, what, what is that? Can you, can you tell? Circuit board, right? It's a circuit board. Circuit board. And we were talking about what imagery we should use for this series. And at first, we were on blocks uh, that we were going to stack. Uh, and, but then as we talked a little about, we're like, blocks seems like very formulaic. Like, I'm going to lay this one, and then this one, and this is the only way to do it. And a circuit board is taking information from one part to another to another. And I feel like it's a little bit better of a visual example of what prayer is. It's this connection to God, this transferring of information back and forth. Some of you tech geeks are probably like, that's not what a circuit board does. And let's just leave that illustration as it is, right? Prayer is this connection we have to God to talk to him and to have him talk to us. Yet, it's the thing that many of us are fearful of. We're unsure of how to do it, that, that if I don't pray the certain way, he might not answer. And so, as John said, the disciples, the guys that are following Jesus, actually get to this same spot that they're going, well, how should we pray? And if you remember our series that we just did about following, that the disciples often followed exactly what their rabbi did. And so if you wanted to be like your rabbi, you would ask him questions like, how do we do this? And so his disciples come up to him and they say, essentially, hey, other teachers, other rabbis are teaching their disciples how to pray. In fact, John the Baptist is teaching his guys how to pray. I just overheard it. But how should we pray? And so this is asked, and this is recorded in two different uh, sections of Scripture, in Luke and in Matthew. Uh, Matthew's a little bit fuller uh, prayer, and, and Luke's the shorter one. And so he gives this prayer to pray this way. Uh, and it's an example for us to pray. Now, it's not, don't think of this as a formula. If I can just understand the next several weeks I'm going to get whatever I ask for because I'll know just how to ask it. And don't think just if you get this down, then you're going to have to pray at every Thanksgiving meal. You might. Uh, But this is a way to help you understand what you're saying when we say these words and why Jesus taught it. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to help you all overcome your fear of praying publicly. Oh, yeah. You're all excited about this. And so this is what we're going to do. We are going to say uh, the Lord's Prayer together. Uh, We're going to say it all together as a church. 
kind of kick off the series, and I even did this. For some of you, especially I know a lot of you uh, come out of the Catholic Church, and for some reason, even myself memorized it in the King James Version, right? And so I'm saying, I'm saying it to myself, and I'm like, this is the only passage that, and I've memorized a lot of scripture that I have memorized in the King James Version. So if you would, uh, we're going to read out of Matthew uh, this together, starting with our Father. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And see, you guys were way ahead of those slides. You, you know this, right? We've said this. This is uh, my, my grandparents, uh, very Catholic growing up. And so uh, I would go over as a kid and we would sit down and we would pray this. And I'd come home and go, Mom. We say the same prayer every meal. Uh, and I, you know, and I, I, I was confused and I, and, and I didn't really know what we were saying. And so for us, we're going to try to dissect that each week, a different phrase out of there so that you can understand what we're praying, what we're saying and why it's important. Um, and so for this week, uh, we have that first section, our father who art in heaven. Little easier English to use, right? Our Father who is in heaven. And even easier, our Father in heaven. And so we're going to look at really three words. Uh, our Father and the word that we now translate who art in heaven or who is in heaven or in heaven. Um, so let's start with Father. Um, Jesus teaches us to pray this way. Uh, and, and address God as Father is a radical shift from what was commonly used or commonly done. And so for you to realize this, here's the importance, because I'm going to say this a couple times. How we address God and why we're going to focus just on this little section is quite often how we view God. How we address God is quite often how we view God. And if you want to change your view of God and align it to what is talked about throughout the Bible, then we should address God the way it says. So, Father. This is so different than what many Jews at the time knew or understood. If you look at the Old Testament, um, the first 39 books, you have God as Father referenced 15 times. 15, 20, and 39 books. And often, uh, it's not an addressing of God as our Father, but just stating that God is like a Father. Um, so, if you can put up that uh, first passage, Danielle, in Psalm 68, uh, we get David writing about God as a Father. He says, He's a Father to the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in his holy dwelling. Notice it's almost like the same phrase, right? Father in heaven. Father to the father, fatherless. A defender of the widow is God in his holy dwelling. 
And so there was some understanding, okay, in, in the Jewish understanding of who God is and the culture, that God is like a father. But to address him as a father is, is way too informal. I struggle with this at times. I came in when I was 24. I'm now 35. In the beginning, I called almost everyone Mr. and Mrs. So-and-so. But then a shift happened, and the shift happened when I started to become closer to age of people that had kids in my ministry, and then if I said Mr. and Mrs., they took offense all of a sudden, right, to it, right? And I had to shift to this more just calling them by their name. Joe, Bob, Sarah, right? And so... The Jews had this understanding that God was to be revered and holy, which he is. And then Jesus comes on, and in just the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, he refers to God as Father and addresses him that way 165 times. It is almost exclusively how he addresses God, as Father. So much so that this was such a radical change that the Greeks, right, as, as they, we took the scripture, right, and they, it was first written in Greek, they actually kept several times the Hebrew word for father because it was such a, this crazy shift of how we could talk to God. And so if you look in uh, Mark uh, chapter 14, 36, You'll see this, okay? This is, this is Jesus uh, just before uh, he's crucified and he's praying to God, right? And he says what? He says, Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. It's not like he says, Father, Father, okay? It's not that he said Father in two different languages. It's that he used the word Abba, which is this very informal way of saying dad, right? This is what a child would say to their father. It, what a, a, a grown-up would also say to their, you know, their dad, their father. That was this, this personal relationship that you had. And so that was so different and so unique that when it's written in Greek, they're like, let's not lose this. Let's still put this in there. Have you ever wondered when you've come across that? Like, why are we putting the Hebrew word in there when we translate it right after it. We don't do that with hardly anything else. But this was so profound that you could call God Father, Abba, Dad. For some of you, that might be a huge shift of thinking. Think about how you pray and the words that you use. For me, typically, I start, dear God. When I was thinking about it as I'm preparing for this, I almost never refer to him as father. I don't know why, but I, I, I got a pretty good relationship with my dad. Um, maybe not like a super close, deep, intimate relationship, but a good relationship. And then when I look at God, I, you know, I'm like, why do I struggle to call him that? And I think sometimes maybe it's because, once again, it's how I view God. I view him as God, not dad. But in scripture, Jesus over and over 
prays that way. And then when asked, how do we pray? He says, Father. The side note for you dads out there or for men who play father figures, that's kind of a hard thing to hear, I think, for me at times because I realize that the way uh, my sons, I have two boys, see me as a father and, and, and the job I do there or the, the kids that I minister to, I'm over and, and, and they see me as a dad, is going to be a representation of God, of who God is, God's being and likeness and character. So for you guys, I think that's a little bit of a challenge. You can either set up your kid or the person that looks at you as a father figure that when we call God father, they're going to be like, oh, I totally see that. My dad was good. My dad loved me, cared about me. Or we set up this really hard roadblock maybe for some of you, you have that, is I could never see God as dad. My dad hurt me. My dad wasn't there. My dad abandoned me. And we sometimes can put that on God as well. So just a challenge for you dads, you, you men who play father figures to people. Uh, understand that that imagery, that relationship, shows people who God is. This isn't to say that when we pray, we should say that God is male. Uh, as one more side note, uh, this isn't saying that we should address God as a man, uh, because actually in Scripture, uh, we read that God isn't man and God isn't woman, right? That God is spirit. If you read in, in John 4, uh, Jesus is talking to the woman at the well, and he's talking about that true believers will worship the Father in spirit. And then he says, God is spirit, and so just because we're addressing God as Father does not make God male. God is Spirit. And in fact, if you look throughout other parts of Scripture, there's imagery of God in the female sense. That he is like a mother hen who takes right, her little chicks under her wing. Um, that God is like a mother who holds a child close to her chest. But Jesus when asked how to pray and how to see God and address him, he said, Father. So I'd encourage you, as, as, as we'll talk about in a little bit, if you want to view God, how scripture talks about, then changing the language and how you address him will change how you view him, right? How we address someone is often related to how we view them. God is Father. Let's work backwards now. Are. Um, Jesus starts with saying, Our Father. Um, I think there's two points on this. One, uh, that this is um, a communal prayer. Something done with others. We say it together. Our Father. And there's definitely times to pray alone and in quiet and in secret. Actually, right before Matthew 6, where we've taken this, Jesus actually talks about, he's like, don't just stand up there for show. Don't just come out into the synagogues and, and pray and look at me. But, you know, go off and, and be quiet. And so there's definitely a scripture of being alone between you and God. 
But there's just as many and more times of communal prayer coming before our Father. The second thing to think about is addressing, when you address God, if you say our Father, you're saying that you are not just His child. That He is not just your Father or my Father, that He is our Father. If any of you grew up with a big family, uh, I had five siblings, so I was one of, of eight people in the house. Food uh, is a big deal, and how much you get to eat is a big deal. Um, and so seconds were very coveted, right? If you could get a second plate of anything, right? That's what you wanted. And so when, at least for us, when we sat down, especially when we were younger and then we started to like hit the teenage years where I'm like, you know, I could eat three pounds of steak. Um, when we started to take our portions, right, our dad or our mom would say, whoa, too much. Put some back. Put some more back. Put some more back. Okay. No, no. One scoop. One scoop. And then once we scarf that down. See, if you were the first one to get food in my family, I could usually have all the food done before the last person had served themselves. Right? And so then I'd be going for seconds and my dad, whoa, wait. Everyone needs to get some first. Because he wasn't just looking out for Steve, one of his sons, one of his children. He was looking out for the family, for everyone. If you would address God as our Father, realizing that your prayers and petitions are not the only thing He's thinking of. That there's other prayers and petitions. There's other children of God that He cares and worries about. That He wants to answer them as well. And when we were hanging out last night uh, with some friends and uh, my kids were there and uh, we had make your own ice cream uh, cookie sandwiches for a kid like, I think Prescott ate like seven cookies and had like eight scoops of ice cream. And finally, right, I had to tell him like, no more, <laughs> like no more. But it wasn't because I'm a dad that doesn't love him or care about him. One, you need to leave some for the rest of the people. And two, I don't want you to get sick. And so I think when we start phrasing our prayers and saying, our Father, you start to realize that God cares about us and that he cares just not about me, but everyone. And that's a radical way of thinking and praying because could you pray our Father and then just ask for me, 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 me? It becomes much harder, right? So Jesus teaches to pray, our Father. The last one, um, and the one I actually is the most interesting to me, is this in heaven, or who art in heaven. Uh, the Greek word for this is oranas, um, and, and the phrase uh, is actually, or that word is translated to different words or phrases all throughout Scripture. And so there's three main ways that it gets translating, translated. And so hang with me. Uh, why am I, let me pause real quick. Why am, if this is like, why am I teaching you these words and why? Remember, 
How you address God is often how you view God. And if you could change how you address God to align with what it says in Scripture, your view of God will more, most closely resemble, resemble that which is in Scripture. So, our Father in heaven, Oranos. It's translated three different ways. Uh, one is air. It's translated as air. It's wind. It's, it's right around us. It's, it's right here. It's what I'm breathing in. Do you remember the song, uh, This is the Air I Breathe? Michael W. Smith, some of you are shaking your heads, you, you old school people, right? I was going to attempt to sing it, and then I remember I'm not on the worship team, and, uh, and so I won't, right? But he says, this is the air I breathe, this is the air I breathe, your holy presence living in me. This was an understanding that, that, that God, our Father, is in the air. He's all right around us. This word also gets translated as sky, that which is above us. Think of our atmosphere. When you look up, I see the clouds, right? And maybe even uh, a little bit higher and, and we see the moon and the stars. This is the sky. This is what is right above us. Our Father who is around us and who is right above us. And then it most of the times gets translated as heaven, and this is the idea of the greatness of our galaxy, right? The stars, the far out, the things I can't see or touch, right? This is the cosmos. This is our Father in heaven. And this speaks to his greatness and how grand he is. And for the Old Testament, when you look at it, you see this all the time that God gets linked as a God in heaven. So let's look at this. 1 Kings 8.27. This is Solomon. Uh, Solomon is a king of Israel. Said to be the wisest man to ever live. Um, and he builds this temple for God to dwell in. But he understood that this was kind of ludicrous. This was crazy. I'm going to build a temple so the God who is in heaven is going to stay here. And he says this almost a little tongue-in-cheek, right? But will God really dwell on earth? The heavens, even the highest heavens, cannot contain you. How much less this temple I have built. He understood that God in heaven is so massive and so great that my little temple can't hold him. We find out his David, Solomon's father, Remember, think of David and Goliath. And then as he gets a little bit older, he writes a lot of the Psalms. He says this same thing. This is what he says in Psalms 139. Where can I go from your spirit? Where, where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there, your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. We get to talk to God as our Father, this intimate, personal relationship. But here's the thing. He is personal, intimate with me, yet he is the God of the universe. 
And so we get this phrase, our Father who art in heaven, that encapsulates these two huge ideas that he is at at one sense this very personal God, yet in another sense he is above and bigger and grander than anything we can think or imagine. Paul writes uh, in Ephesians um, this very thing uh, where he says, you have that up there? He says this, there is one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. He's in the air. He's in the sky. He is in the universe. God is the creator and sustainer of all things. If you change how you address God, you can change how you view him in relationship to scripture. This is the challenge as we go through this. This isn't just a formula of you have to say these words, but these ideas are crucial for your understanding of who God is. They're crucial for when you teach others who God is. And make no mistake, you're teaching others who God is, right? Whether you are a parent, a friend, a coworker, you are teachers of who God is by what you say and how you live. And so understanding our God is really important. So the band's going to come up and we are going uh, to close uh, in song. Um, And as they do, here's the last thing I'm going to share. And you can tell I'm in the dad stage right now. All my illustrations are dad illustrations and parent illustrations. Um, But I'm sitting there uh, finishing my talk yesterday, and next to the table uh, is this bookshelf of tons of books, and uh, tons of of the cardboard books, right, the ones your kids couldn't rip uh, unless they are my four-year-old Kobe, uh, who destroys all books, Um, and and, uh, there was this book uh, by Margaret Weiss Brown, and maybe some of you have read the one that's probably more popular, Good Night Moon. Uh, if you remember reading this, I like these because I could read these in about four minutes and, uh, and I could be done with them. But this one is called Runaway Bunny. Um, <laughs> and so um, the story goes that there's this little bunny who wanted to run away. Um, and he told his mother uh, that that's what he's going to do. And the mother says, well, I'll chase after you. And the bunny says, well, then I'll become a fish and swim away. And the mother says, well, then I'll become a fisherman and I'll catch you. And the bunny says, well, then I'll climb a mountain. And the mother bunny goes, well, I'll become a mountain climber and I'll, and I'll catch you. And he says, I'll, I'll become a bird and I'll fly away. And the mother bunny says, then I'll become a tree that you land on. And the mother bunny, and the bunny says, I'll become a sailboat. And I'll, I'll float away. And the mother bunny says, well, I'll blow you back home. The bunny says, I'll, I'll be a trapeze artist. And the mother said, well, then I will too. And I'll catch you when you're in the air. And then finally the bunny goes, I'm going to run home. I'm going to run to a house and run in the door and shut the door. And the mother says, well, I'll be in the house and I'll be ready to grab you when you walk in the door. And then lastly, the bunny says, 
shucks, I might as well just stay where I am and be your little bunny. There is profound truth in the simple things of life. There is profound truth in a children's book of who God is, that he is our father who cares so greatly for us, has our best at heart, who is not an evil man in the sky that's trying to manipulate things. No, he is a good father, our father. And he is so big and so grand that we can go right to the highest heights and to the lowest lows and he is there. His love is deeper and wider, right? Higher, longer than we can know or imagine. He's our Father who is in heaven. Would you stand as we close and sing about the greatness of our God? and his identity as our father.